Well, good morning. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't, right? <laughs> All right. Um, as Chris told you, <clears throat> a lot of you haven't uh, met me formally from <clears throat> the pulpit side of things, and I know I had the honor and privilege of doing the devotion on Christmas Day, but I was thinking uh, back that it has been since September since I've actually had the opportunity to preach, and so that's roughly what, seven months, and so um, I've got a lot of time to make up for, so we're going to be here for a little while today, just in case you're curious and all, but now, um, just preaching is something I love and something uh, God has called me and allowed me to do, and I'm grateful that I have this opportunity today, and I'm also grateful that um, when physically it became impossible for me to do the week-to-week stuff and all that. God just raised Chris up, and Chris has been doing a super, super job. So thank the Lord for that. I also want to officially thank you all for your prayers over these last several months. I still got a lot of healing and physical therapy to go through, but um, so be it. But today we're going to talk about one of my favorite individuals, in scripture not because of his glorious accomplishments but because he is such a incredible reflection of you and I he is someone that we can say that our actions are a lot like his now we can look at David And say, wow, I could never do what David did. He took down Goliath. He took down a bear. He took down a lion. And we can look at Elijah and see how he fought all the prophets and everything. And won that uh, incredible battle. And then we look at the disciples and we see all their accomplishments and all the suffering and things that they had gone through. And we look at these individuals in scripture and we look at people like Esther and how she was facing the king even at the threat of death. And we look at these folks and say, wow, they're just superstars. They're all stars in scripture. And I could never live up to that kind of standard. I could never live up to that type of uh, spirituality. And so then we excuse ourselves. And then we say, well, if I can't live up to that, and by the way, just in case you're wondering, Uh, I've been working with uh, Josie and Lucy both about saying amen and glory whenever I do get to be preaching. And so that's what Lucy's saying during this time is amen and glory and stuff. She sings with Chris, but she's my little uh, amen corner today. So our lives are a lot like Jonah. Chris was talking about this is a season of Lent. Well, for uh, Jonah, it was a season of wind because he was deciding that he was going to cut a trail. He had in his mind that he had the ability to escape the presence of God. And in so doing, 
he thought escaping the presence of God would also allow him to escape the plan and the purpose of God. And that's what a lot of us think, that if we can head our lives in a different direction than what God has intended for us to follow, then that somehow releases us from any type of obligation to serve him and to do what he's called us to do. And we also keep in our mind and in our heads that, well, if I don't do it, God will raise someone else up to do it. But God, who is so incredibly unique and so specific in his plans, is that even though he could and he can raise someone else up to do whatever he wants done, in fact, as Jesus entered into Jerusalem and the people were yelling, you know, Hosanna, and they were trying to get him to quiet down, the disciples were. He said, well, if the people got quiet, the rocks would yell, Hosanna. So, I mean, God can do whatever God wants to do and however he wants to do it. And the Bible talks about the fact that, and Chris mentioned this as well when he was uh, uh, going through one of the Psalms, is that God is omnipresent. There is nowhere you and I can go that we can escape the very presence of God. That's what the omnipresence means. He is everywhere. And so we need to be very careful. And Jonah being a prophet, he knew this. But that's what sin does. Sin blinds us to the truth of God's word. Sin blinds us to the truth of God's will. And so we're going to talk about Jonah's fleeing fiasco today and I went ahead and just made sure I got the right word for fiasco so that we're all on the same page and the definition of fiasco is a thing that is a complete failure especially in a ludicrous or humiliating way oh does that not describe what our man Jonah did. A complete failure, ludicrous and humiliating. And some synonyms are failure, disaster, catastrophe, debacle, shambles, farce, mess, wreck, and the list can go on. But let's listen to what God's word has to say about this. I'm reading from the New American Standard, the updated version from Jonah chapter 1 beginning in verse 4. And this is after Jonah has got on the boat. They're headed to Tarshish. All right? And so the Lord, however, again, he had his plan. The Lord, however, hurled a great wind upon the sea, and the storm was so great that the ship was about to break up. Then the sailors were afraid, and each one cried to his God, Then to lighten the ship for themselves, they threw its cargo into the sea. Meanwhile, now get this, the storm is going and it's it's so intense that the ship that they're on is creaking and cracking and sounding like it's about to fall apart. And you got to imagine the wind just blowing it gale force and the rain coming down and lightning just uh, uh, sounding throughout the sky and it says 
while all this is going on, Jonah had gone down into the hold of the ship and he lay there fast asleep. And the captain approached him and said, what are you doing asleep? Now, I'm going to pause again for a second. And, you know, reading this doesn't do it justice because you got to remember all this other stuff is going on. The lightning, the wind, and the rain, and the boat about to break down. And so he's not going to be doing, what are you doing to sleep? I mean, he is going to be screaming at Jonah. And then he says, get up and call on your God. Because everybody else is praying to their God and it's obviously not doing any good. And we know it's not doing any good because they're praying to rocks and wood. That, that's a poem, by the way, that just popped right out. And so um, it's, nothing's happening and they're having to throw their cargo overboard and all. And then he, the captain goes on to say, perhaps this God, your God, will be mindful of us so that we will not perish. Then they said to one another, all right, now they got together in a group. And how they did this during the storm, they managed. Come, let us cast lots to discover on whose account this evil has come to us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on, thank you, the lot fell on Jonah. And they said to him, Tell us why this evil has come to us. What is your business? Where do you come from? What is your country? And to what people do you belong? And uh, I can see Jonah, I can imagine Jonah yelling this out. I am a Hebrew. I fear the Lord. And I can just hear the angels in heaven thinking, yeah, right. Uh, I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Now the men were seized with great fear, and they said to him, How could you do such a thing? And they knew that he was fleeing from the Lord, because he told them. And they asked, What shall we do with you that the sea may calm down for us? For the sea was growing more and more stormy. And Jonah responded, This is just so weird. Pick me up. And hurl me into the sea, and the sea will calm down for you. For I know this great storm has come upon you because of me. And again, he's shouting and screaming this. Still the men, they, did, they didn't like this plan because it was going to require his death. Still the men rode hard to return to dry land. But they could not, for the sea still grew more and more stormy. Don't see how the boat other than God's hand, had not capsized by this point. Then they cried to the Lord. Now they're praying to Jonah's God. They had given up on all their gods. Please, O Lord, please Adonai, please do not let us perish for the taking, for taking this man's life. All right, they had taken a vote. According to the ship's constitution and bylaws, if a runaway prophet had said, has said, throw me overboard, then vote on it and throw him overboard. So now they're saying, don't, don't hold us responsible for his death and do not charge us with the shedding of innocent blood. And it wasn't innocent blood. For you, Lord, have accomplished 
what you desire. Then they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea stopped raging. Seized with great fear of the Lord, the men offered sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. May God add his blessing and favor to the reading of his word. Amen. Almighty God, precious Heavenly Father, we have a lot to learn from this disobedient prophet, Jonah, whose stubbornness and disobedience are such a incredible reflection of our very own actions. And so may we learn that your will in our lives and for our lives is not something that we should take so lightly. And it's certainly not something that we can run away from and hide from. So bless this time as we reflect upon this portion of the story of Jonah. For it's in his precious name, in Jesus' precious name, that we do ask and pray these things. Amen and amen. You know, as I was reading the last part of this uh, passage, and it says they picked up Jonah and they tossed him into the sea and it stopped raging, it reminded me of someone else who was asleep in the ship while there was a storm going on. Anybody want to take a guess about who that was? Jesus was sound asleep in the middle of the storm. But he was asleep because he knew he had power over the storm. And he didn't say, take me up and toss me into the sea. He said, peace, be still. And the wind stopped. The storm stopped and all was well and the, and the disciples chilled out. Well, in this particular case, it took the sailors all the get together and to throw him overboard. Can you imagine how they felt when they threw him into the sea and then all of a sudden, this sea that had grown in its intensity on three different occasions, it had gotten stronger exponentially. So the waves had gotten bigger, the wind had gotten stronger, the lightning had gotten uh, louder. And all of a sudden, a calm comes over the whole thing. And they realize now who the real God is. Now, we don't have any indication according to Scripture about how many countries were represented on this boat. But apparently there were several because the captain had said, everybody, you go pray to your God. So they were thinking, all right, we've got all these gods that we can pray to. So in a sense, they're rolling the dice and they're going to hope and pray that one of the gods isn't busy doing something else and that he will come to their rescue. 
Yet nothing's going to happen because we know these other gods simply don't exist. I mean, archaeology and history teaches us that throughout time that the people of the world had literally, and I mean literally, thousands of gods that they prayed to. They had a god for everything. And so... At this point, I'm sure they're praying to the God of storms and he would chill out and do whatever. But it wasn't working. And how Jonah slept through this is absolutely amazing. And it's also amusing. You've got this runaway prophet thinking he's escaping from the very presence of God. And all we can do is speculate. Because I was wondering, how is, he, how is Jonah sleeping through this? I mean, I know people that have gotten on, you know, those party fishing boats, and they go out, and just on the regular waves, I mean, they'll get sick, and they'll be in the toilet throwing up and losing all their lunch and supper or breakfast or whatever, and just little waves. And now this huge storm is going on, and that boat's getting tossed back and forth and everything. People are yelling and screaming. They're throwing things overboard. And there Jonah is, asleep. And how is that so? Is it because he's exhausted from running from God? Well, I don't think he's exhausted because he just went through the normal process of booking passage to get up on the ship. See, what I think is represented here, and this is just a David opinion, okay? What I think is represented here is a reflection of how callous Jonah's heart had become. And the Bible talks about, oh, Isaiah talks about the fact that we can allow sin to so grip our lives that our heart will become like a heart of stone, that we are no longer sensitive to the conviction of the sin in our lives. And so we can sleep through sin. We can, sin can be something that becomes a normal part of our lives. And that's incredibly sad. And it's completely unacceptable. And so... I don't know how this all went down, but Jonah gets up. He knows what's going on. He knows he's, he's that educated as a prophet to know that this is not just some ordinary storm. He knows what God had called him to do to go to, to, go to Nineveh and to preach to them. He didn't want to do it, but so he knows God is... To, getting his attention so he gets up on board he knows he's guilty from the very beginning and yet he doesn't say it from the beginning he makes them cast lots and this is just a thing they did back in that day and time to try to figure things out uh, uh, like a I don't know what Ouija board or whatever but it wasn't a Ouija board, so please strike that thought. Uh, so as they cast the lots, it was like this 
big arrow pointing at Jonah. All right, you want to know who's guilty? It's that guy right over there, and his name is Jonah. And Jonah says, okay, it's me, it's me, it's me. And so they ask him these questions, you know, where are you from? What are you doing? And all that sort of thing. And uh, what's amazing to me is that they already knew that he was fleeing from their from his God. I don't know if they got together and they were having figs and olives and when the uh, weather was calm and everything was cool and they were just sitting around chatting and, hey, man, Jonah, what are you doing? He said, oh, I'm fleeing for my God. Oh, okay. That's what they all thought about it. No big deal. It's no big deal to flee from God. And that's the kind of nation we live in. If you think about it, it's no big deal to flee from God. It's no deal, big deal to ignore God. It's no big deal to blaspheme God. It's no big deal to leave out Jesus out of Christmas and out of everything else in our lives. So fleeing from God didn't even bother them. And yet now it's bothering them because they realize that he is the source of the storm. His rebellion is the source of the storm. And if we're not careful and we become so callous and indifferent towards the consequences of sin and we ignore these things in our lives, then we can allow storms to come into our lives as well. And then we'll say, well, why am I going through this storm? What's causing this to happen? But Jonah knew. See, that's the thing about sin. All right, sometimes people wonder, why am I going through this situation in my life? Why am I having this problem or that problem? You know, if it's sin, you're going to know. You understand? The Holy Spirit of God comes to convict of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. And if sin is the thing in your life that is causing the storms in your life, you're going to know. It's not like you're going to have to go through some type of guesswork and say, God, what is it that I'm doing that's causing you to be so upset and to bring this storm in my life? You and I will know, we will know beyond any shadow of a doubt if it's sin. And the other part of that is, is that we know what to do about that sin. Now, it's not necessarily to go over to Dave and Charlotte's and say, all right, cast me into the pool. It's not something like that, all right? Because they don't have a big whale or shark in their pool to swallow us up or anything of that nature. It's a matter of going to God and asking for forgiveness and asking him to forgive us for the sin and to repent of that sin so that our lives can be restored to a righteous relationship with God. You see, Jonah being tossed into the sea was not repentance. You understand? He wasn't repenting. He wasn't saying, I'm sorry for the sin in my life that has caused this storm. He was just going to, in some kind of magnanimous manner, sacrifice his life 
so that the lives of the sailors would be spared, so that they would not suffer the consequences of his sin. So he said, all right, you want to stop the storm, throw me overboard, and the storm will stop. So he was so, he so despised the people of Nineveh that he would rather die and drown in the ocean then go to Nineveh and preach the message that God called him to do. You know, some of us are like that. God will lay something on our heart. God will speak something to our mind, and he will tell us what to do. And we would rather do anything else, suffer any other consequence, rather than do what God has called us to do. So he didn't repent. The repentance part is going to come a little bit later, actually uh, almost towards the end of the story. And so we need to understand, because I don't want to get into that other part of the uh, message, that even though these men did everything that they could to try to spare the life of Jonah, you and I do not have the power to outrun God, to outdo God, or to overpower God. We don't. We do not have the power to fool God. We don't have the power to trick God. Let's just put it this way. God is God and we're not. And so we need to come to this understanding that we can't just treat God like he is just some type of lightweight deity that we call on when we need something, like a 911 situation here during the storm, or if we want something and we want him to provide it for us, and that he is like our butler. And that God's there to provide for us whatever we want, whenever we want it. That's not God. God is sovereign. God has wrath. And he's demonstrating that wrath during the storm. And we need to be careful not to be ones that initiate that wrath in God and in our lives. And... I've known people, and this is how I'm going to wrap this up today. I've known people who say, well, it's my life, and I can do whatever I want, whenever I want, however I want, because it won't affect anybody else but me. That is a lie from the very pits of hell. Because you can look at this situation, and you can see that the sin of Jonah was in, was infecting this entire ship of sailors and the captain, etc. Same thing can happen to us. The people around us can have a negative impact upon their lives because of our sin. Now, I don't know exactly 
what Jonah's attitude was like, but I just, I get this very casual attitude where he's just saying, like, pick me up and hurl me into the sea, and then the sea will calm down for you. For I know this great storm has come upon you because of me. There's there's no remorse there. There, There's not even a sense of care in that statement. It's just like, let's just go ahead and get this over with. And so the storm went away, and then the next chapter in Jonah's fiasco of trying to flee from God will continue. And he is going to get, he's getting ready to be humiliated beyond his wildest imagination. So let us pray.